Hey there, in this episode of Philosophically Sound, Gus and I talk about one of our earliest and most profound musical influences, Weird Al. We talk about silliness versus offensiveness and all sorts of things. And at the end, I do a sonatrification of a Weird Al original in the style of Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie, sung as my interpretation of Frank Sinatra. Stick around to hear that crazy silliness. And of course, this podcast contains swear words and two brothers trying to make their behavior fit their beliefs. Enjoy. Let's get started. Do you want to hear the theme song real quick to like put us in the mood? Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a story about a guy named Al. Oh, our theme song. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Sound, where we explore the music people like and learn to love the music and people we explore. I'm Tony. I'm a freewheeling father who loves to play on playgrounds with my child because it's so freaking fun to play and adults don't get enough play. I am a playful motherfucker. And I'm Gus, Tony's slightly more playful younger oh. brother. One upper, um, amateur drummer though not lately. Wedding going, bachelor party drinking, socialite <laughs> that somehow is still standing to drink another beer another day. You're so brave. <laughs> Today we're exploring Weird Al, genre fluidity, and silliness. But first, let's talk about philosophy. This podcast is called Philosophically Sound, and not everything we say on the show is philosophically sound in the academic sense of the term. Yes. I am recently have started taking a logic class through the community college where I do sound engineering, and it is fucking blowing my mind. It's really related to a couple Socrates quotes I want to bring up from Plato's dialogue, Meno which we talked about with our dad on episode five. We talked about whether or not certain qualities are teachable, um, which is one of the concerns that Meno and Socrates discuss at length. We're going to talk about another concept from this dialogue that Socrates brings up sort of on the way to his definitions. He talks about learning. So after saying that the soul has been reborn again and again and has already learned all, which is, of course, a premise to this argument that the modern mind may not find very convincing, depending on who you are. But Socrates then says, quote, nothing prevents a human who has recalled one single thing, a process humans call learning, from discovering everything else, 
nothing, that is, if he is brave and does not weary of the search, for searching and learning are entirely recollection. End quote. Mm. After this, um, Meno's like, yeah, that sounds beautiful, Socrates, but what the fuck do you mean? And Socrates is like, okay, bring me one of your, summon one of your slave boys. And the slave boy comes up and Socrates asks him a bunch of questions about geometry. And he tries to make the case to Meno that like, am I teaching him anything? All I'm going to do is ask him questions and he's going to get to the correctness of how to like calculate the area of half of a square. Um, cause at first he's thinking it's like, it's double thing. And I don't know geometry that well, so don't, don't take it from me, but you, you could learn a lot about geometry by, by, uh, having Socrates ask you questions. <laughs> so after he does that to the boy, he says, quote, he answered confidently, the slave boy, as if he knew, and he did not think he was at a loss, but now he thinks he is at a loss. And so, although he does not know, neither does he think he knows. End quote. This, of course, is like a huge idea in Socrates' method, is trying to get clear definitions of what things are and always admitting when a definition is weak, basically, when a definition is like, well, you know, if virtue is this, virtue can't be that, that he's going over in the dialogue with Mano here. There's piety in the um, the other dialogue with, with Euthyphro. He talks about Euthyphro with piety, and Euthyphro's like, piety is whatever the gods like. And Socrates says, yeah, but didn't you also say the gods like a bunch of different things? And so how could piety have any consistent definition, basically, right? So he's always trying to say, like, I'm not telling you what piety is, but I'm saying that I don't think either of us know what piety is. Hmm. So then he finishes with this, quote, Have we done him any harm? by making him perplexed and paralyzed? In fact, we have probably achieved something relevant to the discovery of the way things really are. For now, not knowing, he would be glad to find out, whereas before he thought he could easily make many fine speeches to large audiences concerning geometry. End quote. This is how I feel studying logic in this class right now um yeah like right away the professor asked us to introduce ourselves why are we taking this class and i wrote some things about my concept of the implied for me and the professor got back to me and he's like interesting he finished this by saying there's a lot to get clear here and i haven't even made it through like the second sentence in your paragraph of like this argument and the thing he pointed out that was like kind of a no duh moment for me was thinking about um I feel like we've acknowledged this before, you and I, actually, but we maybe haven't fully wrestled with the implications of this difference. And the difference being that if I make a statement of preference that is comparative, as in Weird Al is the best parody artist of all time, that, in my mind, is a different sort of category from I like Weird Al. Both of these, I would argue, are statements of preference, statements of your own experience with art. But one is received, by my mind, when other people say it, a little confrontationally, a little bit as though you might think that that belief is really true worldwide. And anyone who disagrees with you must not be listening carefully or something, right? That's where I would argue against you and say, no, 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 no. People get to choose their own favorites of of art, you know, their own favorite experiences, right? So 
the long story short is that like as I go through argument analysis, learn about premises and conclusions, how to label them, how to write arguments in standard form, I do kind of feel like I'm recollecting something that I've always known. Yeah, that is uh that is excellent. Can we just for the sake of of unpacking it a little further, can you give the full or the summary of the implied for me in its full portion, and then we can reapply it to what Socrates just said? Unfortunately, I can't give it to you in like what I would call a full portion now, because I am recollecting so many different <laughs> ways that that my argument to this point has been a little a little nebulous and floppy. And if I was talking to Socrates about this, he would have already like spun me around six times with different questions. And I'd be like, fuck, I got to think through this better. What I'm saying is, I don't know precisely how to articulate this idea that I'm having. But now, having said that, I am going to try. Yes. Of course, what it, uh, if he is brave and does not weary of the search. Do not weary. This was what... There was one part of me, one kind of anxious part of my mind that when the professor said that to me, he's like, you fucking fuck up. Cancel the <laughs> podcast. Stop calling yourself a philosopher. Give up. <laughs> give up. There's some part of my mind. I know that's present in all people's minds. I know that I struggle with yeah. it a, a, a bit, you know, uh, more than a bit <laughs> throughout my life. But a way bigger part of me was like this with like, oh, well, this is just like pointing me in a direction that I've always known I wanted to go. You know, I've always wanted to be more specific, more uh, rigorous in my explanations and analysis of these things, right? So let's try. The implied for me says that after a comparative preferential statement saying that something you like, something you prefer is superior to some other thing that a human could prefer— that kind of statement, I think, always has an attached, implied for me. It only really applies to you, the person saying the statement. I don't think it's true to say that any one singer, any one piano player, any one football player, any one president, any one podcaster, I don't think it's possible for one person to be the best for all people and all time. You've pointed out before, that like, doesn't that feel a little obvious? And the reason I even care about articulating this is that I think many times, see, where I'm going to have to get more rigorous is really like analyzing other people's statements, articles, writings about this, and pulling out of it what I see as their sort of implied assumptions, right? Mm. And trying to pick that apart and say... No, when you write this whole article about how Jimi Hendrix is the best guitar player compared to Van Halen, Jimmy Page, Van Halen's a band, not a person. Sorry, I didn't do my research. Um, but when you are comparing these people like this, I don't, without defining really clearly what the best means, like if, if you want to go ahead and get more specific and say, well, Jimi Hendrix has the most the most angular solos. Or you could even get more specific. You could say like, Jimi Hendrix has solos that use tone qualities that are almost always present in the like thousand hertz range. You know, like it's super spit. And so therefore he is the best guitar player because that's, 
I think ultimately you're always going to have to say, because that's the kind of guitar tone that I like the best, right? And if other people prefer, prefer something different, if anyone prefers something different or thinks something else is always the best for them, then you're wrong, right? It's like you, yeah. that can't be the best for everybody because it only applies yeah. to you. How am I doing? <laughs> Honestly, that was a great recap and and kind of uh, like reason why it matters. I mean, you're right that in the past I've said, hey, this is obvious. Like, what's the point? And, and to me, the point has always been music is this universal concept. And so you can say best and worst and put down other stuff and like, does it really matter? Maybe. But which it can translate to that type of thinking and, and bringing awareness to this sort of implied for me is that now it's like, oh, the best, you know, white people are the best people for me, you know, and it's like, whoa, whoa, we, we got to check that kind of thinking, you know, race, pref- uh, you know, sexual preference religion, and all of these things that have been sort of elevated to these status above others, and, and it's, right, it's turned right. into this worldly, uh, you know, these hardships. And so I guess that's sort of the next, well, one of the next steps in evolutions is is can can this skill, you know, to like more types of music or, or understand that it's only a preference for me, and it might be different for others, can that truly be elevated to, to solve some of the issues of the world? That's why I believe in this for me statement um i see you thinking there yeah 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 i got got so many thoughts (laughs) i think that there are evolutions to this way of thinking i feel like all we've done so far is and i'll keep doing it keep trying to refine this argument one of the things the professor said that i'll have to think even more about is you need an argument that the statement Beyonce is the best is in fact a statement of preference because it appears to look like a statement like the Amazon is the longest river in the world, right? If we, if we judge the longest river to be the you know longest measured river by some human system, then like, okay, that's, that's true. We can't argue with that, right? And Beyonce is the best, period, looks similar to that statement. So we need this argument that I've tried to make just now, we'll continue making in the future, that that is in fact a statement of preference, not a statement of incontrovertible fact. And to expand yes. even more on some of the ways in which humans oppress other humans, right? The ways that humans hierarchize. That's yes. a new word for us. Yeah, hierarchize. Um, <laughs> that they say, okay, the way that I live my life, the things I do with my money, the foods I eat, the music I listen to, obviously are part of why I am a superior, richer human being to these other people and their music and their food and their way of life. Yeah. If we allow ourselves to believe that and then we institutionalize, we create political policies that give more money to artists creating the music that we like. Now we've created a true um, like hierarchy. We've created a true imbalance of power and resources. Right. So if we're making these decisions based on some personal preference of what we like the best without elevating the difference of other people's preferences to as equally valuable as our own, then we are oppressing people for just liking what they like, which is not a thing that I would like to do with my tax dollars. Yes. Tony for president 2024. 
I don't want to be president. <laughs> hey, that was a really cool exercise to to reexamine the implied for me with some some input from Socrates. Thank you, Socrates, and and from your new class. Um, and I'm really excited to continue down that down that hole with you. Me too. Let me rephrase that. I'm really excited to continue <laughs> down that exploration with you, my brother. We can we can dig holes. We can I fill holes. We, we, I don't know, we, man. We, <laughs> For me, I don't like the way that I just said that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Listeners, listeners who are listening to this, that's what makes you a listener. In fact, there's a whole thing in Euthyphro about you're not carried until you are carried, right? Is a yeah. is a carried thing. I'm fucking it up. Don't worry. <laughs> you you are a listener. If you're hearing my voice, you're a listener to this show. And I want to give you a little preview. We actually have a researcher. <gasps> not working on every episode, but my partner's sister is a public librarian. And I was talking to her about this show. And she's like, I do want to do research for you. And I'm like, I can't pay you. And she's like, I work at a library or one of my jobs is to help whoever comes in with research. So I'm getting paid a salary to research this for you as well as many other things. But I'm like, let's fuck yeah, you're pay right. Pay the let's librarians. Go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> pay the tax librarians. dollars. Let's pay that the librarians. Where, that's absolutely so where you are the paying tax dollars to do your tax dollars. Exactly. Beautiful. I do pay my taxes, by the way. Yes. No tax and evasion on this show. So in December, we're going to have an episode about Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr., white and black crooners, um, you know, singers from that era who had that smooth style. Smooth style. And um, this researcher, my partner's sister, we'll probably, we should just say her name. We can say first names. Uh, Renee is going to do some work for us and figure she's going to try to find instances of people writing about Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. in that time, trying to mm. look for we're going to try to look for and dissect like the way people's preferences were probably affected by race and racial bias and racism and try to dissect some of those things and figure out like, what is it musically, uh, t- you know, tonefully that's different about Frank yeah. Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. style and what do we what do we do with that? You know, what do we are we able you and I we're big Frank Sinatra fans because we grew up in a world where like that kind of promoted Frank Sinatra and didn't promote Sammy Davis Jr. quite as much. Right. Lately, I've been listening to more and more Sammy Davis Jr. albums and been like, man, fucking cool arrangements, fucking amazing voice. I notice he sings quite a bit higher than Frank Sinatra mm. ever does, which for some people is probably a level of preference that'd be like, oh, I like Sammy Davis. Somebody might even say Sammy Davis Jr. is a better singer because he can sing higher. If that's what better singer means to you, so be it. You know, that's cool. Yeah. But, so those will be details that we'll get into there. Man. Little preview of what's to come for Philosophically Sound. I'm excited for that show. Thank goodness we have Renee doing some research. Because it sounds like something you have to get on the on the microfilm for, you know, you can't just you can't just internet search that potentially. So you need a, you need a true librarian for that. She's reading or at least skimming like whole books. It blows my mind. Man, she's like AI. <laughs> Better. She's got like a thinking brain. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Let's apply our thinking brains to some musical exploration. You ready, Tony? Before we do that. Could I have a musical interlude? Let's fucking do it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. 
You're beautiful. I love seeing your face. You're beautiful. Let me turn the lights up for you. That is fucking bright. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you goof. For me, Weird Al is so necessary to my own musical identity because I listened to the album Running With Scissors over and over and over and over and over again as pretty sure a 14-year-old, maybe younger even. I'm not totally sure. Well, let's let's do the math here. Running With Scissors came out in 1999. I would have been 10 years old then, and I doubt that I bought it when I was 10. I don't know. Mom and dad were nice enough to like throw money at their kids sometimes in the form of the allowance. I seem to remember that your friend Pat in elementary school played it for our music teacher. Oh. And he, our music teacher would have everyone bring a song and like every kid each week got to you know bring a song to music class and share it with the class as long as it was appropriate. And I'm pretty sure he brought Weird Al and listened to that album and, and played you know, one of the songs and that's how you got exposed to it. Um, so potentially, I don't know, elementary school, year 10, that sounds appropriate. So could have been. Oh, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pat. No last names. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my theories nowadays about why I really have a strong preference for albums that contain pretty different songs from each other, which is not a very frequent thing from pop music. Most pop music albums, especially now in the 2020s, are collections of songs that sound pretty similar to each other. I think this is very much on purpose because in a, in a streaming world where somebody might only listen to one song off of your album, you maybe want all of them to fit a particular feel, to be equally attention-grabbing, where my ear will get a little, I just get a little fatigued listening to a very similar tempo, similar key, song after song after song, right? And again, this yeah. isn't really to disparage music like that. I think, as you know, I think that all music has its place in different times and moods and activities. But I do have a preference for like if an album comes on that's like really switching up the groove and switching up the harmonic and melodic content from song to song to song, that's going to grab my attention and just really endear me to that album. Weird Al's albums automatically do this because he's parodying so many different artists. I think you could argue that all the artists he parodies are essentially pop music because it's almost all top 40 stuff. It's all music that is popular. It's all music that sells a lot of copies, but it can go through really different genres, um, really different feels, really different instrumentations, different vocal styles. In junior year of high school, my English teacher was, I forget how we got into this conversation. I think I really liked that teacher. So I would probably just talk to her more than was necessary. <laughs> yeah. I always wonder now as a teacher day, and I'm like, or haven't been in the classroom. I wonder, I love those students. Actually, I was about to say, I wonder what teachers think of those students who like talk to them all the time. Like, I love it. So hopefully she liked it too. This kid, she's at the bar and she's like, this kid, Tony just won't shut the fuck up about Weird Al. And I'm like, sorry, Miss <laughs> Webb. <laughs> but we got talking about Weird Al 
And she was like, I don't know. She had sort of a a uh, a poor a poor impression of Weird Al. She's like, why would I don't know? I think her main thing was like, it's too silly. It's just silly. Mm. One of the themes of our show today too is thinking about is silliness okay? When is it okay? I think is really the question. It's like trying to balance when is silliness fun and lighthearted and loosening and when is silliness like getting the way of having a serious conversation or something. But I um I think brought one of our albums to Miss Webb and had her listen to it. And after coming specifically telling her, listen to all the different things that Weird Al does with his voice. That's what I think from a young age I was kind of just impressed and fascinated by that. I'm like, this is one person. And he's like shaping his tone, basically shaping his mouth in so many different ways to make all these yeah. different sounds. Huge vocal range again. If you're impressed by that sort of yeah. thing, Weird Al might be your guy. And she agreed with me. She's like, you know, you're right. It is uh, on that level. It's impressive what he can do. Wow. I didn't make her into a convert, but that would have been a really early example of Tony trying on the uh, implied for me theology, you know? <laughs> It's it's been in the been in the oven for some years now. And Weird Al, I think, has always made you and I laugh, right? Oh yeah. That's one thing that keeps coming. We're just like we grin. It's just like it's silly. You're singing silly lyrics at the top of your lungs and you're like, isn't life silly? <laughs> well, and one maybe important aspect thinking back on it for me is that our parents seemed to enjoy Weird Al as well. And it was music ah. we could listen to together. And, and you know, it's funny being a kid listening to something, and then as you get older, you get more of the jokes. Or like watching a kid's movie as an adult, you get more of the jokes. And right. so I think, I think that's happened to me. First finding Weird Al as a kid, and then growing up, you know, you, you just hear it in a different way. Uh, but it was cool that our parents could really appreciate it as well um and and you know thinking back on on some of the movies and things we watched I, and in terms of silliness i think our parents value silliness because we would watch three stooges we would watch yeah monty python um oh, monty python you yes. know all, all, all those are the two best examples of of just blatant silliness uh but um so so perhaps perhaps that is one reason uh that you know, well, they bought him for us, right? Talking with our dad last time about Jimi Hendrix. Um, his parents weren't huge fans of Jimi Hendrix, but this is something we could all uh, collect around. Right. When we, the power of liking the same things as other people around you is that it gives you this social bonding, right? There's, there's all this dopamine firing in our brains, right? When we're like having a good time laughing along with a Weird Al song. And that's making us feel connected to the people who happen to be in the room with us, who are also laughing and enjoying it. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The social bonding aspect of, of loving this together is a big deal. There might be, for many people, certain lyrics of Weird Al, certain aspects of his silliness that they wouldn't describe as silly, just straight up offensive, right? And I want to try to like be... Just be acknowledge that and be respectful of that as we go through some of these tunes today, because, again, part of our mission here is to elevate the preferences of others to be just as valuable and valid as our own. Right. And so I want to think clearly if like someone doesn't want to listen to a song because the words that Al uses or the subjects he sings about, like piss you off and offend you like that seems 
pretty valid to me. And we'll explore as we keep going through the songs, whether or not there are songs that we now think are, you know, sillier than we used to be aware of as kids, right? have a challenge for you Gus there's a phenomenon sometimes where you listen to a song enough times you heard it a million times you've <laughs> sung along to it a lot where without really being aware of things like what key it's in what the notes are if you just start to sing it you'll actually probably be in the right key and so I just want you to think for a second breathe deeply Shit. and sing a long long time ago in a galaxy far away. <clears throat> a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, I think I fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. You're like a step down from the original. A, a which, long, which is really close. A long time ago. And in our bonus content for this episode, if you subscribe to us on Patreon for as little as $1 per month, $1. if you enjoy this at all, consider giving us a buck a month. You know, In fact, I say as low as, but like Patreon might let you go lower. Just give us a tiny little bit of your money to show your appreciation, and you'll have access to funky, fun stuff. Like I made a recording of myself trying to learn the chords and melody of this song on piano without going to listen to the song first, just relying mm. on my years of repetition of the melody. And I was shocked at first, but then remembered that this actually kind of happens a lot, um, that as I just randomly came up with it, I was in the same key that the song was in. And you're right Damn. there. You're not quite there, but you don't sing as much as I do. So, yeah, you thanks for bailing me out. <laughs> Disappointed Just myself. Start singing more, bro. A long, long, long time long, ago. Oh, long, long. There it is, motherfucker. <laughs> Anyways, this is the first song on Running with Scissors. The saga begins. Weird Al's parody of American Pie from 1971. I was really interested in the years of all the songs as I went through this, the years of the songs that Al is parodying. Again, Running With Scissors came out in 1999. Normally, he is doing parodies of music that's very recently been popular on the Billboard charts. Yes. That's most of what he does. Here, I was interested that um, he chose American Pie, a song from 1971, but it is just... Of course, it's the one that we know, but could you imagine a better song to summarize the plot of episode one of Star Wars, The Phantom Menace? <laughs> it's so fucking good. It's down to like, if you listen through this song, you'll hear it listened through both. So in the playlist I've created for this episode, I should bring this up. It's two hours long because it goes through the original song and then Al's parody. The original song, then Al's parody. Sometimes there are style parodies where it's not a particular song, but in the style of a band. Then there's like multiple kind of original songs to listen to. And then you go to Al's uh, style parody, which is actually a original song um, is another way to say that. Original song influenced by these other artists, right? Yeah. If you listen to this playlist, you'll um you'll get back to back all of these comparisons. And in the final verse of American Pie by Don McLean, there's um these lines containing the exact same words. Oh, um, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Da -da 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 -da. 
And then before that, the uh, the church bells all were broken. The battle joints were broken. And the Jedi I admire most met up with Darth Maul. And now he's toast. toast. Well, I'm still here and, and he's, he's a ghost. ghost. Yeah. So I love sometimes that he's using not only the same rhyme structure, but actually rhyming on the same words from the original song. Yeah, that's... It's just next fun. level, which, which, you know, maybe, maybe he was listening and was like, oh my gosh, this is like the Phantom Menace. I don't know. I know. One thing I did not search for a lot, and I don't think it's, I don't know, it's probably out there somewhere. I'm ignorant. I declare my ignorance. Weird Al's process. I would love to know, like, does, how does Weird Al, what we know for sure is that he listens to lots of music. And then yeah. he, he, but is it, yeah, he's listening and he's hearing like what words he wants to put there already? Or does he like choose his favorite music so to be the parodies? Because we can't know that at the moment because we didn't prepare, what would your process be for writing parodies? Oh, better question. I would definitely focus on songs that I already had lyric ideas for. Right, I'd be looking for because without a lyric theme, without a you know sufficient amount of jokes to be made, I feel like I wouldn't want to embark upon that project. Right, so I'd want to have some sort of spark of oh, it could sound like this and this and this, and that could build into these jokes. So I'd start, and then then you'd fill it in. Yeah, heck yeah, love it. Al makes a cool suggestion here too, where uh, or a cool adjustment. He only does. yeah, he only does like four verses of the song of American Pie, where the original actually has six. Yes, yeah, six verses. Yeah, so that kind of shortens it up a little bit. That actually hit me because I was listening to the playlist and I was like, "This is way longer than I remember," and and it was. Yeah, American Pie is a long song. There's, he's got a lot to say. Yeah. Then the what this was making me appreciate the detail with which Al's band reproduces songs. They don't use you know like a karaoke track. Or they don't use like the same audio files from the original song and just sing over them. They listen and and analyze and play and recreate all the parts. I've heard that sometimes the guitarist calls a guitarist from another band. It's like, what was the amp that you used for that? We're just like trying to get the same tone quality as your guitar for this, you know, which is a cool level of detail. Yeah. And I tried learning some of the piano chords to this first by ear, then by going to listen. And I freaking love these piano chords. Let's just play them a little bit. All this good stuff, especially this lick at the end that I think in the back of my mind, I've wanted to learn how to play forever, and I finally took the time to do it. Let me change to a piano sound. I still suck at it. But that it's like that, that sounded <laughs> much better than with like the distortion or whatever you had on it before. Yeah, I was like, the I was like what is this? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? What is going on? So beautiful stuff. Then the next song in the album is "My Baby's in Love with Eddie, Eddie Vedder. Vedder." She's so crazy about Eddie Vedder. I was ignorant about lots on this song. I wrote down in my initial notes like polka i guess is this like a polka this is a weird al original so he composed all the music and melody and words for this 
And but it's based on Zydeco music, which is not polka. Um, Zydeco music comes from Cajun, Creole, and Afro-Caribbean um, roots. <laughs> I wrote in my notes here, my ignorance runs deep. <laughs> Don't know a lot about this style of music, but I went around just looking for different folks. Zydeco music had kind of a big global awareness in the 1980s because a couple of Zydeco artists won um, Grammy Awards that year. Among them, Queen Ida and her Zydeco band, which is on the playlist. So here I was just looking for songs from these different Zydeco artists who were kind of mentioned by Al and others to just to find songs that I thought, you know, match the groove close enough. And I'm so pleased with the song that I found that really is like, it's such a cool groove. It's got a wicked um, washboard solo in it later on. It's like, yeah. it's, it's really, really fun to listen to. It was a cool song. Zydeco is, of course, a natural choice for Weird Al because Weird Al, um, you know, honestly grew up playing the accordion and Zydeco music has always been an accordion based music. So he's like, well, that's that's my music. So. <laughs> yes. Love the lyrics of Eddie Vedder. Um, my baby's in love with Eddie Vedder. Uh, like he's some big torture genius and I'm, I'm some, some kind of wiener. wiener. Well, my baby's <laughs> in love with the Eddie Vedder. I love I love that idea that like he's he's calling out. I don't it seems like he's miserable all the time, but my girlfriend loves his sullen demeanor. I just that juxtaposition. I dig. Yeah. Then we go to pretty fly for a rabbi, which is a parody of pretty fly for a white guy by the offspring Mm -hmm. from 1998, just the year before um, running with scissors. And, I had interesting thoughts about this one because I dug in a little bit to the lyrics of the Offspring original and learned that it's like they're sort of singing about a white kid who's buying lots and lots of hip hop albums, but like isn't as cool as he thinks that he is and isn't accepted by the culture. And it was interesting to me how much more that I like a song about that Weird Al seen to present this rabbi character who is genuinely cool and well liked by everybody. Right. He's like. We're just stating the facts here that like this rabbi fucking rocks. Whereas in the Offspring song, it's like this kind of sarcastic put down of somebody else. And I found myself being like, this is just my personality. I think I'm like, I don't really want to put people down in songs. I'm sort of into the, into the, uh, the uplifting of this yeah. super cool rabbi. Yeah. It makes sense. In the Offspring version though, when it's a, give it to me, baby. <laughs> when I heard that voice from Offspring, I'm like, hang on a second. That's Weird Al doing that, right? But then you go to um, Rabbi. I just had a weird memory thing here because you go to Rabbi and he's saying, oy vey, oy vey. his voice is even higher and squeakier. But that yeah. the tone quality of, ah, ah, I'm like, that's just an Al sound, isn't it? I don't know who got what from whom. I'm sure. I don't know. It's just some some combination of like a... It, yeah, white singers screaming at the top of their lungs. I agree. Well, and 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 I think a point to bring up there is that we heard all of these Weird Al songs before any of these originals or influence songs. Yeah, and and that that's happened with me quite a lot over my <laughs> Al listening. Now, as I got older, I would know the songs uh, before I heard the parody, and so that was fun too. But especially in this instance. You know, you just associate that with an owl sound, whether it is or not. And uh, it was, yeah, I agree. It was weird to hear that part later. Right. Again, our parents liked listening to KUVO, the public radio jazz station in Colorado. And they liked listening to NPR and they liked listening to CDs, Weird Al or whatever we bought. And what that meant is we very rarely as kids until like, till we got a 
a little more free and exposed to uh, free is the wrong word, but like a little more exposed to other people and their tastes. Yeah. I wasn't really listening to the radio stations. I wasn't listening to pop radio station or even alternative rock radio stations. And so, yes, we didn't know a lot of this music. We learned it from Al, which is <laughs> sort of funny. It's like learning <laughs> pop culture from the Simpsons. I side note here, side note here might've been in Miss Webb's class actually. Oh, nice. But, but I, uh, Pretty sure I passed a test on Macbeth because there's a Simpsons episode where they parody Macbeth, and it gave me enough plot points to just know what happened. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Simpsons and Weird Al, for raising me. Next on Running With Scissors is the Weird Al Show theme. Now, this was an actual theme song that he composed for an actual TV show that ran for one season. Uh, with Weird Al, which I was... Oh, this is a story, is a story about, about a guy, guy named, named Al. Al and he lives in a story with a guy hamster pal. Hamster pal. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my gosh, I wrote down crazy long note at the end. Goof City. The harmonies are so cool. Is it like toy piano? Kazoo? Uh, but then the whole first section changes to, now the very next summer you went... Mm, and it's and like there's all these huge all synthesizer sounds and just a complete feel change. So, in, and this is interesting. This is in an Al original song. Got himself a job on a tater tot farm. Yeah. That it's like in this Al original song, he's got this like drastic contrast between the two different sections of his thing, which I just, again, I really, really appreciate it. Some This programmed my young mind in a particular way to just love that brash, yeah. crazy contrast. I wrote down, yes, I can hold the last long note, but it doesn't <laughs> feel good. Let's try it right now. Hold on. I'm going to pull up the song. Okay. <laughs> You're ready to just jump in. You're like, show! Show! <laughs> Yeah, let's um I think this one is worth listening to all the way through. Sing along and when you get to the end, take a big breath and see if you can make it. Maybe back up from the mic a little bit. Then we should have Rowan try to do it. <laughs> Maybe at the end. Oh, this is a story, story about a guy named Al, and he lived in a sewer with his hamster pal, and really did not prove, so he had to the accordion, and had to move to a city in Ohio. Ohio. Same dread factory. Here it comes. Take some time to breathe. Sound like contracting, what do you know? know? Got his very own weird hell show! Yeah! 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 That's another sound that, like, oh. I do. Let's just listen to the playlist. Fuck the show. Let's just listen Fuck to the whole the playlist. Show. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, that is the thing. I highly, I wonder if you have never listened to Weird Al before. If you're listening to us, you've never listened to Weird Al. I wonder, what if you stop the show and go listen to the playlist? Or maybe pick out, you probably know at least one or two of the songs, the original songs on this list. I could be yeah. totally wrong about that. I'm taking a wild guess. But go to one that like you know pretty well and listen to that in Al's parody and just, I don't know, see what you think. How do you feel? Are you laughing? Are you smiling? Are you resentful? Whatever it is. It might be super, super fun. Yes. Nice job <laughs> holding that note. That was hard. That was way better than my uh, prep. After my prep, I said it didn't feel good. Today, I must be better warmed up. I'm rocking it. The breathing. Then we have Jerry Springer, which is a parody of One Week, also from 1998 by the Bare Naked Ladies. 
Um, Bare Naked Ladies, one of my more favorite groups that I listened to as a teenager. A lot of people put Bare Naked Ladies songs on mix CDs that they made for me when I was nice. in um, high school. I did not know that. But I hadn't listened to this song a lot, actually, before doing this project. And I read some stuff about it, too, that like a lot of people think one week was a big, it was a, on the Billboard Top 40. Um, that's why Al decided to do a parody of it. And it's very, very different from a, from a lot of other Bare Naked Lady songs. They have incredible variety in terms of groove and like song content and melodic content and the way they sing, too. Um, band very much worth checking out if you don't know about them already. And at first I was like listening to the lyrics of one week and also listening to the lyrics of Al. And I basically settled on how, like how this is an area where the silliness offensive paradigm shows up. Al is usually pretty, he's like almost purely silly, but there are some Al songs where someone actually is kind of the butt of a joke. Right? Yeah. He's saying like, he's really making fun of Jerry Springer here. Um, which, you know, I've actually never watched an episode of Jerry Springer. In fact, my impression of Jerry Springer is entirely <laughs> fed to me through Weird Al, which is sort of interesting. I, I also never watched very much Jerry Springer, and I think it was directly because of this. I was like, this sounds crazy. I don't want to see that. And then, you know, some daytime TV, would kind of flip on. He'd be like, oh, yeah, this is trash. Al is trying to, like, not take himself too seriously, I think, with the conclusion to his song where he's like, got way too much class to watch Jerry Springer. Come over here and pull on my finger. <laughs> yeah. Makes that little fart joke. Well, yeah, it's relatable in a lot of ways. It's like you're watching something and you're like, why am I spending all this time watching this show? Like, it's not, you know, whatever. And then Jerry Springer was a phenomenon. And then uh, just, just, but I, I could see, you know, how that song, there's some, you know, the just talks about it, the, the little people, the midget, talks about It uses a lot of, yeah, you know. uses a lot of outdated terminology, right? I guess I wasn't offended, but I was a kid, so. Probably the simplest thing to say about it is like, it's not my favorite song on the album yeah. anymore. Maybe it was at one point, but I feel like it's always, I don't know. It's, there are so many amazing songs on this album. It's like, yeah, that one kind of falls away. Agreed. Like the next song, Germs. Germs. This might be one of my favorite Al songs of all time. <laughs> it's, I love the idea of like this obsessive, oh, there's a whole, um, we're not fully prepared. There's a full like phobia name for what he's saying. We're like, you're, you're overly scared of germs. And you're like, oh, there are microscopic bacteria on every single surface on me. It's like, I rub my skin until it's raw and bleeding. <laughs> Those lyrics are fantastic. In this song, Germs, this is another Weird Al original song, although it is based on the style of Nine Inch Nails. What a, I got this from that Weird Al fan wiki, by the way. Yeah. And as I went to listen to these songs, I was like, yeah, these seem like perfect representations. Did you listen to all three of these? Yeah. Terrible Lie, Closer, and I'm Afraid of Americans? I think I only did Terrible Lie and Closer. I don't think I did I'm Afraid okay. of Americans, but... And this is interesting, too, where like I feel like Al must have... In order to do this, did he hear the David Bowie song 1997, from 1997, which is like two years before this album, when he's probably gathering the material... Because then the Nine Inch Nails songs are from 1994 and 1989, kind of an older one. But they all definitely have elements of them that Al has combined and incorporated into this song. Like the, I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of me wrong. It's like, that's just, that's just straight up a, a melodic line that Al is definitely using in the song Germs. Um, yeah. They're all over me. Can't get them off of me. <laughs> right, so he's just, and he's singing it in kind of the same tone of voice as David Bowie there. 
Um, definitely in the song Closer by Nine Inch Nails, the um, the singer starts in the kind of da 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 da. Notably, Closer is a song that later, or maybe earlier actually, figures into one of Al's polkas, um, polka medleys. It's not on this album, but a yeah. different one. And, and Al starts that same way with like, I'm not getting the words. But. <laughs> Last thing about Germs then is that so in some places I found people's assessment of Weird Al's vocal range. And they would say like, he's got a low B flat too, which is like a designation of which octave of B flat. And sometimes very often in Weird Al songs, he uses an octavizer, um, basically a you know pitch manipulation to take his voice and just move it down an octave from where he's saying it i don't think mm. weird al actually has some of those super super low bass notes you can mm. hear it in like the tone of the voice when it's microscopic bacteria <laughs> it's like it's, yeah, not, it, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like him singing microscopic bacteria sing that real quick and i'll and i'll uh pitch transform it in the in the uh, final version microscopic bacteria Perfect. That's going to like sound super low and bassy on people be like, whoa, this can sing so low. It's studio magic. I'm telling you now. Then on the album comes Polka Power. And yeah, so after Germs, one of my favorite Weird Al songs about a person afraid of germs, just screaming it out. And then there's Polka Power and all of Al's polka medleys. They're so fun. I had the thought as I listened to this and like went through, I went through every single song and I actually made a separate playlist (laughs) that'll be attached to the show. That's an hour long of just the songs in the polka power thing, which for me was incredibly educational. I still at this late date, you know, 20 years later had not listened or really explored some of these songs before their originals. And as I, you know, it's amazing. No, you go. I was just going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt your thought process there, but I had heard a lot of those songs since, but there were a few that were new, and it's just amazing the tempo. Like almost every single one of those songs was slower than the polka, and of course, polka's fast and upbeat, but you know, significantly slower. And uh, so it's just always interesting. <laughs> so like, I smell sex and candy here. It's like I smell sex and candy here. Right, just right. so slow. So putting it, uh, anyways, just the tempo alone is crazy. If in your preferences you are swayed by, you know, impressive displays of musical skill, like the articulation of Weird Al's voice as he sings, right? I smell sex and candy here. Who's that lounging in my chair? It's like that he gets it really, really precise. There's like a chorus of people all singing it. So the band multi-tracking their voices. Plus the drummer just going, you know, really cool. There's a lot of invention here, right? Because... One of my favorite parts of the polka melodies, actually, are the little polka transitions where you place some solo bits on the accordion. If you're looking to kind of up your musical awareness, listen through polka power for the moments where he changes keys and where the song just flows along in the same key as the previous song. So sometimes he just puts the songs in the same key, but sometimes they modulate or change the key to get to the next song in the in the arrangement, which is just so fun. All of these songs are from 1996 through 1998. And so as I listened to this, I found myself thinking, this is really sort of like a too long didn't read of the pop charts for the last couple of years. (laughs) And I sort of love Al for this. Honestly, I'd be like, yeah, it's like maybe 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 I want to get a sense of like what's going on out there and 
I don't want to listen to all this. I can listen to these 15 hit songs in four minutes and 21 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Can we um, pause for a moment? I know it's not the scope of this episode, but just talk about Al's polka. I love all of his polkas. But did you listen to the the Hamilton musical polka medley where he <gasps> takes all the songs no. in Hamilton and he polka polkaizes it? It's I haven't great. listened to that yet. So if you haven't seen the musical Hamilton, I don't have time to watch that. Too long, didn't read. Weird Al Poca. Check out the Al Poca. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Next up on the album, Running With Scissors, is your horoscope for today. This is another Weird Al original song in the style of ska, kind of broad- broadly. The fan wiki listed Real Big Fish and some other bands that I didn't write down on the um, kind of list of influences. I put Real Big Fish's I Want Your Girlfriend uh, from 1998 to be come right before this, which feels pretty similar in terms of like the, uh, the sort of tight clipped sound of the drums, the really bright offbeats on the guitar, the uh, really brash, powerful brass section. One thing that I did note throughout all of this comparative listening is that in terms of the tone quality of the instruments, I do generally prefer the tone quality of the original songs of the instruments to the tone quality of those instruments in Weird Al's versions, which I think is because the vocals need to be so much more prioritized and kind of out in front in the mixes of Al's songs because the vocals are the novelty part that he's kind of trying to get us to pay attention to, you know? That would make sense because I've had similar observations, especially listening to them side by side. Um, yeah, you'll hear how some Al songs aren't quite as loud or like punchy as the originals. Yeah, but but to your point, the the lyrics must be heard in an Al song where sometimes in the other ones they're part of the churn. Another process I'd love to be a fly on the wall for is to like watch Weird Al talk to the audio engineers who are working with him on these projects. I, that must be a fascinating process too of like what vocal effects they're going to use on Al, how they and how they decide to mix everything. You know, maybe Al he probably heavily influences that engineer to say like, can my voice be a little bit further out in front of that? Yes, awesome drum part, but not the point. Yeah. <laughs> On your horoscope for today, this is another perhaps singing challenge we could undertake. Are you up for this? Game on. Game on. He's got one thing that I really love about Weird Al. Impressive breath control. Impressive breath control that he puts on full display. I don't know for sure. It wouldn't be too hard to have studio takes take care of this. You could sing through half of this phrase and then stop and then punch yourself in at that same place and like make it sound as though you didn't take a breath. You could even take a breath and just like edit it out, you know, turn the volume down for that breath. All these things are possible. I like to believe you've watched some, we've watched some weird out live shows. Um, you and I, not for a while, but you can watch some videos too, where he definitely displays some impressive breath control. So I'd, I'd like to believe that this is another uh, example yeah. of that. Agreed. It also doesn't matter. It sounds great. So let's give us a little horoscope for today. So we're going to try to sing the the bridge in one breath? Yep, we're going to get to the bridge. This I tried to do several times today, and I cannot do it. But I'm a little more warmed up now. Maybe I'm I'm ready. Let's go. That's your horoscope for today. That's your horoscope for today. Here we go now. 
Now you may find it conceivable or rather very least a bit unlikely that the relative position of the planets and the stars could have a special deep significance or meaning and exclusively applies to only you. But let me give you my assurance that these forecasts and predictions are all based on solid scientific documented evidence. So you would have to be some kind of moron at the real. I said every single one of them is absolutely true. Where was I? <laughs> Did you do it? Yeah, I can't quite make it through that whole thing. Maybe, I don't know, I'll practice some more and see if I have it by next. I don't know if I did. I probably cheated, but. You feel like you made well, it? What I was saying, though, I feel like I made it, but I was singing like lower, like not at his yeah, range and also right. not as loud. So I feel like I was like cheat codes. Fuck yeah. Um, a note <laughs> here, too, about like if you take horoscopes more seriously than this song does, you might listen to it and be like, well, this is kind of dumb. You might even go beyond silly and be like, you know, me like tracking with, there's this whole, you ever heard of Chani Nicholas? She has this really awesome app that like tries to personalize its content basically for the self-development of people. You know, it's like a much like other established, you know, other religions from throughout human history. This is trying to help humans be better to themselves and others. Right. And of course, you know, Weird Al is... Weird Al isn't necessarily making fun of horoscopes here. He might just be saying, like, wouldn't it be funny if your horoscope said this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like fortune cookies. Your like love the... life will run into trouble when your fiancé hurls a javelin through your chest. <laughs> that would be trouble. That would be, yeah, a bit of an understatement. <laughs> then we have It's All About the Pentiums, which is a parody of It's All About the Benjamins. Um, very quickly here, I got to the original, it's all about the Benjamins. And I'm like, oh, this is like really chill and laid back. I feel like the rock, where's the rock? There's a whole rock remix of it's all about the Benjamins, which is the specific remix is what Al is adapting in his parody. I had the same question mark when I listened <laughs> to it. Cause I was like, what is he bringing in here? It's like kid rock or something, but Okay. Then the truck driving song. Driving a truck. <laughs> yeah, this song made me uncomfortable as a kid, but I liked it. Interesting. Made you uncomfortable, but you liked it. There's so much pressure in our world to, like as, as kids, I think we absolutely experience pressure from other kids and probably from culture around us, comedians maybe, to like, oh, don't think that I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm not gay. Which I think... Again, this is the 90s talking. That's kind of like, it's um, it's unexamined thinking, I think yeah. is what we could kindly call it, right? It's like, if you examine these thoughts and you think, oh, being gay, loving a person of the same sex, having sex with a person, you don't have to love them, whatever you do. It's like, this is a, just a natural, I believe this is just a natural thing for humans to do. And so there's nothing... There's nothing remarkable about it. There doesn't have to be anything remarkable about it. And to avoid being seen as it is to be fearful of something that you don't need to be fearful of, right? That Beautiful. you shouldn't be fearful of, you should be accepting yeah. of, right? Just accepting yeah. of the reality around us. Yeah. And to that point, perhaps somewhere out there, there is a truck driver who drives with high heels because it, <laughs> it makes that person feel fabulous while they drive, right? Like that's a real thing that could happen. It's sort of silly in this context, especially when you compare it to um, some of the, I put two songs on here from C.W. McCall and Dave Dudley. These were people suggested by the Al fan wiki again of, of um, 
this is a Weird Al original, not a direct parody of any song, but it's in the style of these two guys. And especially um, C.W. McCall has this really classic like narration over a country groove. In fact, in no songs that I listen to, I listen to like four or five C.W. McCall songs, did I hear him sing. He's actually only talking, talking in this nice, low little voice. Yeah. Whereas Dave Dudley does a lot more like singing. So we put a song called Truck Driving Man by Dave Dudley. That was and I actually, <laughs> I'm so excited to listen to those two songs back to back. I have not yet actually done that. Myself. It's good. <laughs> then, yeah, what I'm especially impressed with on Truck Driving Song. Here, let's play just a, f- a f- fragment of it. A truck. Because a Al sings truck. impressively low here, and it's an incredible tone change. Again, I wonder, like, is this just the, the incredible malleability of Weird Al's voice? Or is there maybe a little bit of, like, you could add some EQ adjustments. You could even, like, perform the song in one key and like move it down just a few steps to kind of get this deeper sound to your voice. I don't know if they're engaging it again. It doesn't matter or diminish the quality of the song in any way, if that is what they're doing. And it's also possible to my mind that Al is just really good at manipulating his voice, right? Get him on the show. I want to get just a little sample of this and see like, can I even sing this low? Driving a truck, driving a big old truck. I'm Pedal to the metal, oh, but I'm running out of luck. Driving a truck. See, driving a truck. he's got this like bright quality to it. Driving a truck, driving which I feel like I have to relax mine more. Driving, driving a, a truck. truck. There's like more air in mine. I don't know. <laughs> cool shit. With my high heels on my high heels on. <laughs> Freaking. It's great. Just it's a great awesome. song. Yeah, it's so honestly, from a young age, I had such a fun time singing along with that song. Yeah, it was fun. I said earlier, you know, made me a little uncomfortable. I think it was just mostly the line about my crotchless panties creep up on me. <laughs> I think that line I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, probably the word crotchless just made you a little a little twingy, a little uncomfortable. You know? How do you how do you feel about that line now? You know? Uh, the line is fine. How do I feel about crotchless panties? <laughs> <laughs> the verdict still you're still trying them out. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> that could be could we have merchandise? <laughs> we, where would you where would you put? On the butt. Yeah, on the butt you put philosophically sound. <laughs> Next on Running With Scissors is Grapefruit Diet. Ah, another of my favorites. So fun to sing along to. This is a direct parody of the song Zoot Suit Riot, which before I researched for this episode, I did not realize was a pretty modern song from 1997 by the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, a ska swing band with a punk history. They kind of started out as punk musicians and got into ska and stuff. But apparently this song is the result of a swing album that helped them make a lot more money like in these in the late 90s. They were kind of starting to struggle, apparently, financially, um, according to a Wikipedia thing I read. Take this all with a grain of salt. I'm fairly ignorant here. But that they they had a lot of fans coming up to them at shows saying like, 
what albums of yours have the swing tunes that you played tonight? Because in a show, they would play punk songs and ska and swing and put it all together. And so their manager was like, why don't you guys do an album that's like all swing? And then they got this song, Zizu, right on there. And it became a top 40 hit. Wow. Made him a bit of money. Making money from swing music. In the 90s. Kind of wild, right? Who knew? Who knew? Now we know. Now we know. And so one of the notable things about this is that in the original Zoot Suit Riot, there's like a scat solo, um, you know, syllables that don't have linguistic meaning. Then the horns echo. Funny, I just did like two types of scat to represent scat and horns, whatever. Weird Al, of course, changes all those scat syllables to words of like, no more pie now. No more pie now. No more creme brulee. All of his, um, all of his words he chooses rhyme with the original scat syllables from Zoot Suit Riot, which I just think is really fun. <laughs> the man's an artist. Clearly, he's having fun himself as he creates these, right? <laughs> yeah. Working hard and having fun doing it. Love that. And finally, Running With Scissors closes with the epic Albuquerque. This again is a Weird Al original. And have you, Gus, listened to Dick's Automotive by the Rugburns? It's one of the only songs on that playlist I didn't get through. Let's listen to a little bit of it now. I was, I was surprised actually to find that this was called on the fan wiki a style parody and not a direct parody. And it makes sense because it, it can't be a direct parody if, if Al has added like three extra minutes. And, and he's definitely doing different melodic things. But the harmony that they're using behind this... Oscillating between a one chord and a four chord. One, 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 four, four, one, one, four. four. That's the exact same in Dick's Automotive and in Albuquerque. So like huh. that, that thing's been carried forward. A lot of the guitar articulations are kind of very, very similar to Dick's Automotive. So it's interesting how it's like a, it's an imitation of Dick's Automotive, but not an exact one. So it becomes a style parody of like a specific song. If yeah. that makes any sense. It does. Get ready for Dick's Automotive. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, but Dick's Automotive is like, it's twisted. There's a lot of like, here's another song where actually like, as I listen to it, sometimes I'm thinking, this is good, silly fun. And then other times I'm like, he he cut off, he cut off her arm? What? Like, shit's like, it's pretty fucked up. And, um, but it's also like, obviously I think to the songwriter, he's kind of being being fucked up to be silly for like a purpose you know what i mean i'm not i'd be interested to hear from people if like you listen to dick's automotive do you love it are you laughing and singing along are you kind of uncomfortable or is it somewhere in between i'd I'd be interested in what it is for you so as you're pulling that up is the is the arm getting cut off thing is that like why weird al cuts that guy's arms off in the song I would think so. Like, it's interesting how Al imitates the gruesomeness in some ways, but he also, it also feels to me as though he's able to make the gruesomeness even more, like, palatable and straight-up silly and not disturbing. That's not a thing that I analyzed enough to really talk okay. clearly about it, I feel like. But it that would be a good thing to think about is, like, <laughs> yeah, if you listen to both and you're bothered by one and not the other, why? Why is mm. that? Great question. Both these songs are 
testaments to the power of repetition and like arrangement in your in your musical composition because again they're using two chords for like in Dick's Automotive case an 8 minute 40 second song Albuquerque an 11 minute 22 second song Epic. And, and they create interest through first of all the storytelling just spoken storytelling over this comfortable groove right yeah um and then every once in a while singing a repetitive phrase in Albuquerque in Albuquerque yeah Dick's Automotive Dick's Automotive it's just like a repeat repetitive thing where everybody gets louder and there's harmony and so it's just sort of just feels fun the words almost stop mattering in that moment right yeah who's Dick's Automotive by again a band called the Rugburns. The Rugburns. Not to be confused with my old band, the Rug Puppets. <laughs> Good call. I'm curious about the rest of the Rugburns catalog, actually. I'll be interested to go listen to other songs and see. Cause I, I'm I'm curious by I'm curious by twistedness, I think. When you come up with like a sort of twisted idea and bring it to life, I'm like, huh. I kind of want to see what else you've brought to life. <laughs> well, they're they're Drummer is named Stinky, so there's that. <laughs> Aren't all drummers named Stinky? <laughs> you son oh, of a bitch. Oh, no. That's just what I call uh, I don't really uh, do that. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Uh, we earned it. So there's just a... This is just us geeking out about how much we like Weird Al, basically. We've done that for 90 minutes. I could do it for another 90 minutes. I'm not I'm proud. I'm not proud or tired. I'm tired. <laughs> for um, a long time, I thought Albuquerque was more like a in the style of a Zappa song. But as I learned about Dick's Automotive and then thought about it more clearly, I'm like, oh, actually, the musical style is not like Zappa, really. Though he does utilize Zappa's child, Dweezil Zappa, to play some guitar, um, some guitar solos on this one. That's right. Which is kind of, that was another thing that made me think, oh, it's like related to Zappa. Some of the jokes are like references to Zappa songs. Uh, Zappa has a song that's called Weasels Ripped My Flesh. And weasels <laughs> are ripping Al's flesh in the course of this song, right? There's connections there, but the musical styling of it is much more Dave's Automotive. Wow. Dick's Automotive, sorry. <laughs> then this last little bit of the silliness offensiveness paradigm I read this really excellent article that I will that I texted to you and didn't like put here. And so I'm going to quote from memory from this article, not not exact quotes. And I'll list it in the show notes. But I loved this This is a more recent interview with Al. Uh, The interviewer asked him, when did you realize that being a parody artist could be like a viable career? And Al says, I think within the last three months (laughs) And the article, (laughs) he goes on to write, which is, you know, a joke <laughs> because Al's a silly guy. That's how he introduces the whole thing. And in this article, he talks about how Weird Al will play Albuquerque live at shows. And afterwards, after talking about the descri- describing the person who confronts him in the hotel room and takes his precious snorkel, glow in the dark snorkel, um, he describes this person as a hermaphrodite. And after he plays the song in concert, Weird Al now apologizes for using the term hermaphrodite. And I actually don't know. What hermaphrodite really means? Well, to Google. And that's what I'm doing right now. 
hears from the intersex society of North America. They'll have, they'll have the thoughts about what's offensive. The word hermaphrodite is a stigmatizing and misleading word. There's growing momentum to eliminate the word hermaphrodite from medical literature and to use the word intersex in its place. While some intersex people do reclaim the word hermaphrodite with pride to reference themselves, it should be generally avoided, except under specific circumstances. Right, so Victorian, it goes back to Victorian doctors. Yeah, absence of any knowledge about genetics or embryology. So it's time to eliminate this quaint Victorianism from modern medical practice. Hmm. Yeah, so it implies that a person is born with two sets of genitals, one male, one female, and this is something that cannot occur in humans. Gotcha. And so Weird Al apologizes for this, and which I think is notable in our age, in our in our time where politicians don't apologize for fucking anything, <laughs> where they're like, no, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna twist my words around to sort of feel like, yes, I was even though I was wrong then, I was actually correct. I've always been correct, and I'm correct now about what we should do next, right? There's no there's no rhetoric trying to change our mind about that from Weird Al. Weird Al's like the '90s were a different time, and I used that word, and now I'm trying to you know, not use the word less and just explain it. You mentioned earlier that he's putting it in context, which is useful. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and, and sort of the example I used was Confederate statues. And there's a argument about whether we should take those down or leave them up and honor the history. Um, and, and, you know, so there's a, a, a solution where you can take them down, put them in museums and add the historical context of that. These were actually put up much after the civil war, uh, to kind of strengthen ideas that we no longer value as a collective society, right? To strengthen racist ideas, right? In that, uh, light, right? Do you need to change the word of your song or can you at least just put it in context for people and explain that? And probably through doing that, I bet. Well, I didn't know this before doing the show, um, or I didn't think about how that word could be offensive, right? So I bet through that sort of education, still playing the song, putting it in context, you you get the message out there more so than just taking the word out, because um, then people get upset that it's censorship or something, or they can misconstrue your intent as censorship, and then they're all up in a bunch. Um, so that's probably a... a topic we could delve into forever but um (laughs) absolutely and it relates to something else that this article this kind of interview with weird al brings up that weird al kind of had i forget exactly the context of this but that weird al has a reaction to uh the concept of political correctness he's quoted as saying something like i think when people say that you're being politically correct what they really mean is that you're just being sensitive to other people's feelings (laughs) I read this quote and I just fell in love with Weird Al all over again because I'm like, here's a guy who understands that like when people ask you not to use a certain word, that is precisely what we're talking about. We're talking about like, this makes me feel a certain way and you using the word makes me feel bad. So I'm asking you as your fellow loving human to stop using that word, right? To change your language. Is that so difficult or is it just time-consuming yes so i love al for that kind of he's got such a i feel like al is sensitive to the accessibility of his art it's like he he seems to care if his stuff is offensive you know another thing mentioned in this um piece is that he is sort of hesitant about what 
musical direction he will go next, in part because of the sensitivity of the culture. He's thinking like, what are the jokes that I want to make? I might be putting words in Al's mouth a little bit there, but you can read the article on your own and kind of come to your own conclusion. The conclusion for me being that I just love supporting an artist who cares about and talks about the accessibility and 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 correctness, political correctness of, of what he does. I appreciate that he just pays attention to it, examines that he proclaims his own ignorance, proclaims his mistakes and moves forward and keeps making cool stuff. Yeah, man. He's uh he's he's a national hero in my book. <laughs> for me. For me. There's a big question for us now. Would you like to hear me sing something of Weird Al as Frank Sinatra? Can I Sinatrafy a Weird Al original thing that's in the style of something else? Can we Sinatrafy a Weird Al parody of something else? What's the what's the right course? What are you in the mood for? This is in the spirit of our prelude episodes where we didn't actually plan Sinatrafications. They just happened yes. organically. That's what's happening today. I mean, I think you know the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would like you to Sinatrafy something. Now, I, I think an Al original uh, or influence song or whatever we were calling them would be the way to go because otherwise you might just be... I mean, that's a pretty meta parody. It's like a parody <laughs> of a parody, which maybe is the way to go. Um, but you said you said one of your favorites was Germs. And I think yeah. that would be a very interesting Sinatrification. <laughs> okay. uh, so, give me a give me a few moments. I'm gonna like listen yeah. to the first little bit of this. Yeah, take your I think, time. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited about it. Yeah, we can put the put the you working through it on the bonus content or something. I don't know. Really want to be alone. Run and be alone. It's one state I'm never in. Because I know that I've got millions, millions upon millions, tiny one-celled organisms living on my skin. I'm rubbing, rubbing scrubbing to my flesh is raw and bleeding. They just come right back again. Can't, can't even see them, but, but I know, know they're, they're up to something. something. Hey, don't, don't touch that. that. You, you don't, don't know where it's been. been. They're all over me. They're inside of me. Can't get them off of me. I'm covered with bacteria. That's going to be hard. All the issues here are octave issues. Al is going through multiple octaves octaves of his own range, which is not a thing that would really fit Sinatra style so much. We're going to need to find a place where we can just like do it all together. Like Frank is going to go, they're all over me. It's, it's not going to be that high, right? Yeah. Um, so let's figure out. Thank you. 
fun shit. I love this melody too. It, like it's oscillating between major and minor modes a little bit. <laughs> Some, sometimes I really Sometimes I really want to be alone But that's one state I'm never in Because I know that I've got millions upon millions of Tiny one-celled organisms living on my skin I rub and scrub until my flesh is raw and bleeding. But they just come right back again. I can't even see them, but I know they're up to something. Hey, don't touch that. You don't know where it's been. They're all over me. They're inside of me, can't get them off of me. I'm covered with microscopic bacteria. <laughs> that's, my, that's my best guess right now. It's yes. the perfect time to end the show because here comes my son. Come on in, my son. Come on in, my child, Rowan. Come yes, on, Tony. Yes. Let's see. <laughs> that was fun. It was incredible. Well done. Gus, thanks for talking to me today. And listeners, thanks for listening. To help us dig deeper and spread more love, more music, and people, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash philosophically sound. Send us your voice singing the theme. We want to collaborate with you. Email your requests, critiques, questions, and photos, appropriate ones, to philosophically sound podcast at gmail.com. Philosophically Sound was researched and produced and recorded by Gus and Tony. Audio editing and musical analysis by Tony. And now we, we are, are fucking, fucking professionals. My brother, I love you. Oh my god, done.